0: That's enough of of NFL talk. I mean, this is straight NBA basketball, like Curtis Blow, baby. Let's go! Come on, everybody, and let's get jumping because it's 12 really days of time. Baby, Rip City is jumping okay, high. Keep Randall up the middle. Hit! Oh. 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 Come on, everybody! All right, Rip City, welcome to the 12th edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin, coming to you live from rainy Rip City, and I got my man
1: Sage, chilling in Southern Oregon.
0: Before we get to any Trailblazers talk, first of all, we have to give a huge shout out to the Portland Timbers for going to Columbus and taking the MLS Cup on their home field in two-to-one fashion, so big ups to the Timbers, all the supporters. I recently bought a dual Blazers-Timbers scarf at one of the past Blazer games, so, you know, I'll take a little bit of... Your new booty enjoyment out of this win. You know, I I rep the Rose City. I love the city of Portland. So anything good for the city is good for me. So, again, huge congratulations to the Portland Timbers. And hopefully the Trailblazers can continue their own momentum along with this. And we can just have great Portland sports throughout the end of 2015. Speaking of great endings, this Trailblazer team sure does not like to start out very well. But, boy, do they know how... To end on a high note, they go into Minnesota to kick off a four-game road trip, defeat the Timberwolves 109-103. They come back from 17 down, just like they did early in the season. Sage, does anything this team does surprise you anymore?
1: I feel like you have to be flexible when you're a fan of a team this young. So no, giving up a huge lead and then fighting back, I'm used to it now. My heart isn't used to it, but I'm used to it. You know, in any kind of a, a player development season like
0: this, it's definitely a lot easier on the old ticker. I know in seasons past when we were fighting for home court advantage, I would be as high with each made three and as low with each, you know, unforced error. So it's kind of nice just to be even keel and just enjoying the games. And also knowing in the back of your mind that this team's not down, they're not out, doesn't matter the score, they rarely get blown out and they're always going to fight to the end. And it was just, it's so strange that it was almost like a carbon copy of the first meeting between the two teams. Minnesota jumped out to that huge 17-point lead, but Portland slowly but surely chipped away at that lead, and it was a huge 29-12 to run in the third quarter that eventually tied it at 75. CJ was really the maestro of that show. He scored 12 points during that third quarter. It seems like when CJ really gets clicking or Dame, they just have the ability to bring up the spirits of the entire team, and get that team going. They are really the you know the engineers of this Trailblazers locomotive.
1: It, it's tough to get hyped when you're doing poorly. So I get it. If one of those two does something well, it's a way for the 13 other players to feed off that energy. Playing basketball is more enjoyable when you have energy.
0: How about we, we talk about Dame and CJ so much and how it's so important for them to score 50 points combined for this team to win.
1: Still not enough, I think.
0: But this Blazer bench has been on one lately. We will get to to that Dallas game where they put up a ridiculous 73 bench points. But they did it again Saturday night in Minnesota. They outscored their Minnesota counterparts 47-34. to 34 When the Blazers don't have to rely on two players to do all of the heavy lifting and they can get contribution. Myers Leonard, Mo Harkless, Alan Crabb, Ed Davis. It just makes everything so much easier on our two stars because defenses cannot key in on them. They have to worry about the whole team.
1: I mean, Ricky Rubio played some really tough defense on Damian for parts of that game. Like, he had the speed to cut Damian off when he was trying to penetrate the lane. And I haven't seen many point guards with that lateral quickness.
0: He, he did play good D, but I thought Dame did a great job of being selective. And I think when he is selective and really cherry-picks the shots that he wants to take, that's when he's at his most... Normally, he'll come down and he'll throw up a few bad shots from three or a lot of quick hitters. But he only took 15 shots on the night, and he got 19 points. Anytime you can have that type of ratio, you'll take it. He had seven assists... And I thought that he was quiet early, but when the Blazers needed buckets, they knew who to call on. Everybody in their building knew it was Lillard time. You know it's coming. You just can't stop it. And that's the beauty of having a superstar player of the caliber of Lillard, when you could be quiet, passive early on, deferring to your teammates. But when the going gets tough and the game's on the line, you know that player's going to deliver for you. So that is just a wonderful, wonderful thing to have for this team. How about Al Farouk Aminu? Everyone was on him on Twitter, on him on the message boards. I can't believe we signed him. Oh, you know, he's starting to look like a bust. You know, what happened to the Al Farouk we had early on in the season? Well, first of all, it's an 82-game season. Nobody is Steph Curry right now where you're just putting up ridiculous stats every single night. He's going to have his ups and his downs. He also is a brand-new father. People do not take personal experiences into sports. They always think, oh, they're only focused on basketball, so why aren't you performing well?
1: Have you or, heard that Tracy McGrady story? No, go ahead. You know, when he started playing poorly and getting injured, it was because he wasn't sleep. Well, this is what he says. It was because he wasn't sleeping 11 hours a day because he was a brand new father. So, just think, it could be a lack of sleep. It could be because he's a fringe player and doesn't have to be consistent all the time.
0: His routine could be... Yeah changed um no longer are you getting all that sleep throughout the night you might be getting up a lot of outside factors contribute to a player's performance on the court and i think fans don't really take that into consideration before they start blasting somebody online behind the computer which is completely asinine in my opinion but that's for another podcast at another time back to aminu against the pacers first of all his defense was flat out amazing on paul george george came into the game i believe he was the eastern conference player of the week And he had, I believe, 11 points, Sage.
1: Well, do you think him playing 40-some minutes the night before helps a little bit, too? I mean,
0: I don't know. Paul George, is he's a supposed superstar in this game. That's what you have to do. You have to play a lot of minutes on back-to-back nights. George had (laughs) 11 points on 4 of 17 shooting from the field, 0 of 9 from 3. So, Aminu, not only did he do the job defensively, but he filled up that stat sheet. He played uh, 32 minutes against the Pacers, had 13 points, 6 rebounds, 5 assists, 4 of 9 from the field. Backed it up the the following game in Minnesota with a huge 16-point outing. Again, an amazingly efficient night. 5 of 7 shooting, 2 of 2 from downtown, You know, 3 rebounds, 3 steals. And when he's going, he's one of the biggest X-Factors, I think, for this Trailblazer team. When he is hitting that, that corner 3 and playing that tough defense, he just gives the Trailblazers that added element that they need to get over the hump against some of these other teams in the nba
1: i think for alfaroo there's certain players that he just defends extremely well when he was on new orleans it was carmelo anthony lebron james to an extent but it's more of the bigger more powerful wings When he can actually be physical with someone, he plays a lot better defense.
0: And I think as he continues to play defense and his reputation grows, he will start to get the benefit of the doubt with the officials. They'll start allowing him to play a little bit more physical. I just love when he forces a steal, a guard picks it up, he's running the break, they hit him on the wing, and he finishes with that dunk, or he gets an alley-oop. He just plays with so much energy, and not only does the crowd in Portland feed off of it, but his teammates feed off of it on the road, but... It's that small forward position, which was a huge, huge question mark at the beginning of the season, has now turned into a really big strength. We've got Alan Crabb, who in December, so the three games in December, he's averaging 15.7 points on 58% shooting, 61.5% from three He's not going to do anything else. He is a pure scorer, but those numbers are ridiculous, and what we experienced with him early on in the preseason, especially with that huge outburst against the, the Golden State Warriors, but, man, he is really looking confident in his shot. He is not hesitating, and it's like every time he's shooting, I'm, I've got the, the hands up doing the crab, the crab claws, And, you know, I really think the Blazers need to get on that, do a free fan giveaway with with crab claws, uh, especially when he's rolling right now. That would be amazing. But man, he's been a fantastic performer off the bench.
1: Definitely. And I mean that it when you have players that are stepping up, it takes pressure off of our big two. I hope he's consistent and plays not nearly as well because that's pretty tough but he, yeah you, you can't shoot you, shoot 60 you can't shoot,
0: no you can't shoot 58 percent from the field and 61 from three over the course of a season let alone a month but i don't think it's any surprise that the blazers are winning games when he plays well like i said he's not going to fill up the stat sheet but he is a pure scorer. he's almost reminds me of exactly what the hawks have on kyle korver he comes into the game he's going to run around you know what he's there to do he's there to shoot the ball and he does it well. His shot looks extremely pure. I've, I'm just super stoked on him. I just really hope consistency mm-hmm. and stay with him because that's what the Blazers need. If All they're looking for this season is to find a couple of gems to go along with, with Dame.
1: Exactly.
0: They think, they think they have one in CJ. Down the road, they believe they have one in Von Leigh. But guys like Ed Davis, Alan Crabb, and Myers Leonard, they're starting to show what they have. So... We've been kind of talking a little bit about the Wolves and sprinkling in the Pacers. Let's actually dive into that Pacers game. It was a 123-111 victory for the Blazers. It was really a massive 41-point quarter in the third that, that pushed Portland over the hump. You know, Indiana came into this game only giving up 95 points per game. Portland put up 123, and I did a little research. 123 is the most Indiana has allowed this year and the most since The Phoenix Suns put up 124 on them back on January 22nd of 2014. That's nearly 24 months that number stood. So Portland just did something to a great defensive team that does not happen. That's got to give Blazer fans something to be excited for and to look forward for in the future.
1: I felt like some despair every time I saw CJ Miles shoot. I was like, oh, this is going in.
0: Yeah, I knew it was going in. He was locked in. He I feel like he just has those games against us. It's those damn left-handed shooters. Nick Van Exel, you know, CJ Miles, you know, even not Damon Stoudemire when he was on our team, but it feels like every left-handed player has the same exact release. It is silky smooth. It is so quick, and there's nothing you can do about it. CJ Miles was 8 of 11 from 3, but you can live with CJ Miles going 8 of 11 from 3 when Monte Ellis only scores 2 points in 18 minutes. And, like we said, Paul George gets 11 points. So if you can hold Paul George and Monte Ellis to 13 combined points, you're going to win 95 out of 100 times. Oh, yeah,
1: and you don't shoot 8-11 often. So you just got to tip your hat to him for a fantastic...
0: You know, and that's one thing you definitely have to do. Um, He was a a reason. They jumped jumped out to a 10-0 lead. And I believe the Mavericks got up 12-0, or it was something of that nature. But Portland has been down double digits in the first quarter for, the, I believe, four straight games, um, dating back to that Clippers loss. Do you see this as a trend, something Portland fans should be worried about, or just kind of, you know, a young team being young?
1: I think it's a young team being young. Obviously, I, I honestly don't know how to explain that. But they fight back, and that's all that really matters. It's not how you start the game, it's how you finish it.
0: And I completely agree. Uh, I think it is. I would agree. It's it's inexperience. I think that's where we need to look for, for Dame to step in and assert some leadership. Maybe take a couple shots early on, run the offense, slow it down, because that just shows that they're not ready to play from the opening tip. Most times you can get away with slow starts, but you want your teams to play. Once you start playing the elite teams, you have to play 48 solid minutes to beat them. You can't have any lags. So the Trailblazers, they're getting away with it now, but I would like to see that trend reversed.
1: And we mentioned the uh, Noah Vonleh, Myers, Leonard. I think I feel like it's our duty to talk about who's the start. Who do you think the starting four is going to be? Because Blazers media is talking about this all the time, and we actually we need to give our opinions out because
0: you know I applauds Terry Stotts for starting Yovanle for a few reasons. First and foremost, outside of Lillard, he has the most potential of any Trailblazer player. Fans might not see it now. They look, oh, what, four points, three rebounds per game. What are you talking about? Well, there's a reason he was taken with a ninth pick in the 2014 NBA draft. And he this is really his rookie year. Also, he just turned, what, 20 or 21. Give this kid some time. Two, the bench scoring. The Blazers have been... Key- filling it with bench scoring lately, and that's because they have Myers Leonard coming off the bench. Noah Vonleh is a player that reminds me a lot of Nick Batum during his rookie year, during the 2009 season, where he would just start the halves and not really play else, elsewhere. But he improved so much by playing with the starters and against starters that, that really helped his progression, and we saw how well-rounded Batum turned into. I think this. I think they're doing the same kind of career arc for Vonley. They want to see how well he does against opposing starting fours like the Dirks, like the Loves, like the ADs, and he's going to get his chance coming up. But I also think it really benefits the team that you can bring a guy like Myers Leonard off the bench and you know he's going to be a threat to score. The problem with starting Myers is then you're going to Ed Davis and Ed Davis and as your as your bigs. And Davis is a garbage man, does a fantastic job at it. Von Le's really not used to getting plays run for him like Myers is. So then you're really, really hoping either Dame or CJ with that second unit plus a guy like Crab can get hot. Now you take take that that factor out that Myers can come in and score. So I really like that. Also, I think Von Le is a better defender than Myers Leonard. I don't think Myers is a bad defender, but I've really liked what I've seen from Von Lay early on, especially when he gets switched out. He's very quick laterally. I think once he starts getting more comfortable out there, he's going to quit making those silly fouls. But he's got a really high basketball IQ for such a young player.
1: Boom. And one last thing. It's not who starts, it's who finishes. If Myers Leonard's cool with coming off the bench, why rock the boat?
0: Exactly. And I really thought Von Le had a nice game. Against the Pacers, he had six points on three of three shooting, four rebounds in just eighteen minutes. He should have had more. He had a beautiful spin move that was uh, should have been an and one. It was negated by a terrible traveling call that wasn't even close. Um, rookies, rookies or second year players are probably not going to get the benefit of the doubt on most calls. But I still am liking what I'm seeing from Noah. And you know, I still read on the message boards that people are already like freaking out about trading Batum and how Noah's not producing. I just, you got to be patient, man. Not every rookie is going to come in and play like Carl Anthony Towns or Kristaps or, or even guys like Lillard and AD who we've watched grow through the years. It's just those guys are not a dime a dozen. They are very rare, and a lot of time, lottery picks take quite a while to develop, so let's give Noah more than, what, 21 games before we start you know, freaking out. A,
1: we got a good team, and you got to trust them. and... Fans like us aren't as smart as a dude get, that's getting paid to make basketball moves, basketball operations moves. So let's trust the process. I feel like that trade with Batum was fantastic and we got a lot for it.
0: And I think people will be singing a different tune at the start of next season once we have a full year of Von Lander our and Batum signed with another team that's not named Charlotte because he is going to get paid. And then he won't be in a contract here. And, you know, again, I'm not hating on Nick, but I would not be surprised if he reverted back to, you know, the norm. But that that is enough on that. Looking through my notes, I realized I said Dame shot 6 of 15 against the Wolves, which he did. I looked back. He shot 6 of 15 again against the Pacers. You know, I thought it really was... Uh, one of the best games he's had all year. He had 26 points on 15 shots. That that to me is incredible and something I think he should strive to do more. Um, not only that, but he was efficient from three, five of nine, and he got to the line nine times, made all nine. When your superstar player can get to the line and get those calls, not only does it, not only are you scoring while the clock is stopped, but you are getting the opposition into foul trouble so that other ticky tack fouls get your players to the line. And I loved it. What I loved most, though, the nine assists. Like, Dame being efficient and handing out assists, the Blazers really cannot lose when he plays like that. And this is why I don't think Dame is a finished product. I've, I've seen a lot of people thinking, oh, he kind of topped out after that playoff series against Houston. I don't think so. I think this guy's too driven, too talented. I think he's got a notch or two to go. Um, and this is what we're seeing. If he can just become a little more consistent with his efficiency and his assists, He's going to go into that next level of top three point guards instead of just top five.
1: I actually agree wholeheartedly.
0: I mean, that's, that's what you look at for a guy like Chris Paul or Steph Curry. They're efficient, and they hand the ball. Those are two major categories that point guards, those are the two main categories, I think, that really epitomize the point guard position. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it was not a three and week. Though uh, the Trailblazers blew a seven point lead with two minutes to go to the Mavericks, they ended up losing in overtime, one fifteen, one twelve. I was at the Mavericks game and the Pacers game, so I kind of got uh, a first, you know, uh, a bird's eye view. I was sitting in one of the last rows of, of the RG, but you know, there's no bad seat in the house. However, it just I might have jinxed the Blazers. I, I told Olga when we were up by 7, I was like, we got this. I mean, Dallas wasn't even really hitting a bunch of shots down the stretch. It just seems like it just came boom, 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 and then we're back in it. Uh, I thought the Blazers really gave that game away. And it was great to see Wesley back in the house. It was great to see his reaction and his ovation. I thought his ovation would have been much louder had traffic not been just a bug. Um, it was a very late arriving crowd, which I've noticed lately, in Portland. But... I'm still very glad that Wesley got paid, but it's not us paying him. He was extremely quiet. Uh, he did have two threes late, but besides that, you know, I think we're getting Wesley Matthews' production out of Alan Crab for what a tenth of a price.
1: Yeah, and Wesley Matthews had a fantastic game today.
0: Fantastic. Yeah, and he's going to have. He has the capabilities to do that, but I just don't think that is consistent. Again, consistency separates the men from the boys when we were talking about elite NBA players. Mm. And he is paid like an elite NBA player.
1: Oh he's yeah he's he's getting money. Like if you messed up on a contract that expensive, that's gonna set your franchise back years.
0: And you know don't get me wrong, I love Wesley Matthews. I rocked my number two jersey to the game. I cheered extremely loud for him, but I think it was in the best interest of both parties to separate ways. However, we both were wrong on our X-Factor predict- predictions. I said maybe a guy like Berea who didn't even play just off his past history of the Trailblazers. Um, I also mentioned Ray Felton who was kind of quiet. I mean, he had his moments. And you mentioned Dwight Powell who I believe only had a couple buckets. Yeah. It was it was the Darren Williams show. Um, he really kept them in it. Uh, it was vintage Darren Williams. I didn't honestly know he had that left in, in him, but it's – it seems like when the Blazers get beat, it's that point guard position goes off. We saw it with the Suns, with their backcourt, Brandon Knight and Eric Bledsoe. We saw it with Derek, Darren Williams. Pachulia was a sneaky good pickup for the Mavericks. Mm-hmm.
1: I'll be 12, talking about that later. He had
0: 14 points on 6 of 10, shooting 21 rebounds. So he was very efficient. And then Dirk, Dirk was Dirk. I mean, that guy just continues to amaze me. Uh, I don't particularly like him, but I respect the hell out of his game. He's, you know, going on 38, 39 years old, and he just has that old man game. And it's, to be, to be, to be quite honest, it's pretty beautiful to watch. Um, Twenty to, to put up 28 points, 7 rebounds, 6 assists at this stage of his career, uh, pretty remarkable. He's arguably, he is arguably, you know, he is the best big man shooter the game has ever saw, and I don't know if we'll see another one like him, although Porzingis from the New York Knicks is looking like he he could be a same type of player, but you know Dirk was was the original, the OG to do it, and you know I'll be glad when he hangs him up. You know Kobe can stay around all he wants, but Dirk has been a thorn in our side for for so many years. Whether you go back to the 03 playoffs or the or the twenty eleven playoffs, you know Dirk has just been a pest, and all you really can do is just you know tip your hat because he's shooting you know tough shots off one leg hand in his face but he practices that and that's a good shot to him but that that was a game even though no blazer had a a positive plus it was a really weird game no blazer had a positive plus minus like i said the bench had 73 points i don't think i've ever seen that number that high and it was really you know the best game i've seen from gerald henderson 20 points on 7 of 13 shooting he got to the line four times made all four in 24 minutes That is a perfect showcase game that Neil Olshay needs to see and have from him. So other teams can call towards, you know, January and February and say, hey, we really are in need of a backup wing. You know, who do you like? (laughs) Um, Or Olshay picks up that phone and says, hey, I've got Gerald available. Again, Henderson has an expiring contract. It really makes a lot of sense for a trade. Have
1: you been playing with the ESPN trade machine?
0: No, not oh, yet. Because, I, I have a lot. Well, for one, December, no moves can be, can be made on all free agent signings or trades until December 15th, so we're still you know, about a week away.
1: I, I know that, but it's fun just to play with the ESPN trade machine, see what's up.
0: No. It's fun, and I actually thought when he had that best game, I, I don't think he could have picked a better team to have that game against because Mark Cuban is in win-now mode, and that team could definitely use an extra wing. I mean, really, who's their backup too? Because Carlisle played that five-wing lineup against the, the the Kings a week or two ago. They had Wesley Matthews guarding DeMarcus Cousins, so he obviously likes to play those guards. I think it could be a perfect match.
1: What would you want? Like, Do you just want a draft pick?
0: Yeah, I would take... I mean, Shea you know, traded two second-round picks to get Crabb. I feel like he trades a second-round pick every year, whether it's at the draft or in other trades. So, you know, I would take back a couple second-round picks. And it's really because I don't think our wins or losses are going to be affected by it. It's because guys like Alan Crabb and Mo Harkless and TJ McCollum are more than capable, as well as Al Farouk of holding down that, that wing position. You know, that's four players for two positions. I think that's more than enough.
1: And then we got Pat if something awful happens with injuries. So. Exactly.
0: this It just makes a lot of sense to try to get some value out of him just because of the fact he's an expiring contract. And I, I would be very surprised if if we kept him and he signed with us in the offseason. So um, those are just my thoughts. Again, I know, I know a lot of people like Henderson. I know my mom already... I think it was that first game against the Spurs when he had that strong second half. She's like, oh, man, I already like Gerald. I'm like, Mom... You can get attached to nearly everybody but Gerald and Kamen because those two are on my list of the two most likely to be moved at at the deadline.
1: I still think he is a ball hog, and I don't like him, and he doesn't fit the the scheme at all. But I get it. He does some cool dunks.
0: Not even that. If the Blazers were a little bit better of a team and, say, fighting for a sixth and fifth spot in the playoffs, I say you keep him because he does do things that our other guards can't do. He's probably Pine CJ... I don't know. I don't. Krabs and shooting the ball well too, but he's a good mid-range shot. I just like the fact that you can put him on the block and he can score with his back to the basket. That's something none of our our players can really do at the moment. So that's that's kind of where where I was heading with that. Oh, our
1: trade our uh, trade deadline podcast is going to be so much flames, bro.
0: I mean, we're going to break out the NBA 2K. Oh. We're going to break out.
1: <laughs> you already know the 2K. Is break going out down. the
0: ESPN. A trade you know what does hollinger say this affects the team by the week that was Blazers, you won that week
1: congratulations
0: i'm not too thrilled about it i only said we'd go one and two um, well, i said
1: oh and three so you win by default
0: i called that pacers game which i was very very proud of myself for and i really think we need to start going back through our podcast and keeping a tally so we can have bragging rights at the end of this season to see I'm who sure is. i'm winning i think you're winning but slightly i don't think it's by a whole lot it-
1: You know, technical victories are still victories, man. Shout out to the Niners for getting that win this week.
0: Hey, I don't want to hear anything (laughs) about that. They don't even know how to tank properly, but that's enough of of NFL talk. I mean, this is straight NBA. Basketball, like Curtis Blow, baby. Speaking of basketball and a throwback player like Curtis Blow, Ed (laughs) Davis. I mean, Sage, they need to stock the arena with 17 jerseys because I want one.
1: They haven't, oh, they don't have his oh. jersey out yet. I want that
0: red alternate number 17, Ed Davis, because he is quickly becoming even more than just a favorite. He's like, he's number two probably right now um, behind Dame, and just been a beast on the boards. He has. 8 against the Wolves, 13 against the Pacers, 11 against the Mavericks, and he's playing, on average, 27 minutes a night. Not
1: even starters minutes.
0: And I believe I heard uh, Rice say on one of the broadcasts that he is the third-ranked offensive rebounder in the game behind two mega studs, Andre Drummond and DeAndre Jordan. I mean, thats we're winning a lot of these games because Ed Davis is keeping us in just by being around the basket, either tapping it out to a guard or putting it back I just love his hustle. I love the fact that teams are trying to go hack-a-ed, and he went three or four against the Wolves, and I just wanted to, you know, just stare at that coach and say, what are you doing? And they, they was this clutch at the line. He may not make them in the first or second quarter, but he makes them when they count.
1: Has he replaced Rolo in your heart already?
0: No, I still love... Well, Rolo was only here for two years. I'm always going to love Rolo because he was a cat guy, and he was kind of a nerd like me. He loved... The Boy Meets World. He loved the comics. He just seemed like a big kid at heart. So I'll always love Rolo. But I, for three years, $21 million for what we're getting out of Ed Davis, nearly eight points, eight rebounds, a 20 PER in probably under half a basketball. That's, I think Ed Davis is a top five free agency signing if we're going to go based on value.
1: Oh, well, yeah, if we're going to go on, all right, I, I get if, it. If
0: we're going to go on how much we, he got paid plus his production in the minutes given, he's got to be a top five signing.
1: All right, I don't, I don't have anything to argue with right off the top of the dome, so I guess it's true.
0: It is true, Sage. I told right. you, I'm fired up right now. All right, I had a great dinner and I had some pecan pie. I'm, I'm ready to go.
1: I, I had cinnamon's life, so I'm totally ready. Got the, got the soy milk on deck. Oh, I'm all about
0: that, that, that soy milk too. So you know, big ups to you for that, Sage. So that was the week that was the Blazers. Can you believe it, Sage? How many games out of eighth do you think without looking, how many games out of the playoffs do you think the Blazers are? Four. One game out of the playoffs. Wow, so you how get, many games
1: so how we many games options.
0: do you think they are out of fourteenth in the yeah. West? So second worst in the West. How many games do you think they are?
1: What's the record? What's the record?
0: They're nine and twelve.
1: Okay, so f- minus four.
0: We're three games out of 14th. So that's how bundled up the bottom half of the West is. We're one game out of eight, but we're three games from, you know, being buddies with the Lakers at, in the cellar. So...
1: I think we need to... If we're going playoffs, it has to be the 7th seed. We don't want the
0: 8th. No, no, <laughs> We don't want the 8th seed. But I'm saying if we're going playoffs, it starts with these next five games. And it is a packed five... Playoffs? Fight. Yeah. That was a, that was a great Jim Moore. That's one of the greatest greatest sound bites in history. For those fans who are, you know, they're drinking that playoff Kool-Aid, and they will shout out to you because, you know, you can't stop the Blazers from winning games. They're not just going to not try to make shots. They're not going to not give 100% effort. They're, tr- they're paid to play. They're paid to win. They're born to win. I mean, they all have a huge competitive drive. They're not just going to, you know, sit there and tank because some people on the internet want them to lose games for a hypothetical shot at a 19-year-old kid. That's not what they think. You know, Casey Holdall has always had a great point when I worked with the Blazers and we would talk about the draft and, you know, tanking. And he's like, why does a player who especially is on the fringe of an NBA contract want to lose games so the team can draft another player to take his position and take his money?
1: Wait, so the, the, those NBA players read my tweets and emails about <laughs> tanking?
0: I'm sure they do, buddy.
1: <laughs> I mean, Alfredo Camino does follow you. Shop, he still does. He must not listen to the podcast. Which needs a change. He's got
0: that. He's got that new baby, so he gets a pass.
1: I, I read that he doesn't mess with technology that much, which is cool because since you and I are so technology driven, I mean, I wish I could. Yeah, exactly. Outside of a, a podcast, I could do without technology. Yeah, right.
0: <laughs> it is nice to go off the grid for a while.
1: I don't even know how to do that anymore, bro. To be honest, like my phone shows me the apps I use the most. Do you know what it is now?
0: It's DraftKings. Yes,
1: yes, it is. It so is. Bad. It's so
0: bad now. I, I, I despise them so much because of their advertising. Like,
1: Oh, um, I love them so much.
0: Well, you're their target audience, of course, but they need to tone down the advertising.
1: Thanks, so no. I, bet it's,
0: I bet it's what? DraftKings, Twitter, and the Pelicans app.
1: I don't own a Pelicans app. I only own a Blazers app.
0: <laughs> Whoa, breaking news.
1: Yeah, I already know everything about the Pelicans. I don't really need it. I sort of need it for the Blazers, but not really. Yo, it's weird about my fandom from the Blazers. It's risen... Like, I think I've gone past emotional fan pretty quickly. Are you an irrational fan? No, I went past that level quick. (laughs) Like, I didn't have that irrational love or we need to win every game type of thing. I went from new booty fan... To grizzled veteran, I, I've gone through some stuff, type of fan. <laughs> like you've gone through that heartache. Well, I, ha- I mean, I've gone through heartache. NBA speaking, a lot. But like, I, I don't like. There's no irrational bone in my body for the Blazers. It's like this is a process. We got to trust the process. There's no. We got to win this game because a former player's on it and. We have, to, we have to prove that we're the better franchise. No, none of that. It's, I get it. I get it. It's, it's a process. It's
0: definitely a process, but it's one that I think the Blazers are already ahead of. I, I still remember that guy from CBS Sports projecting the Trail Blazers to have, have 18 wins over the course of the season. I just about, you you're know. Gonna,
1: you're going to send him such a strongly worded email after we get 19 wins. No, yeah. It's going to be unbelievable, bro.
0: The only shade I throw is on this podcast. I'm not going to tweet at him. I'm not going to send him an email. He knows what he did. He knows it was a bad pick. The Blazers already have nine wins. I, I still like my 37-win projection. What did you have again?
1: I, th- I think I was 34, 35.
0: I think Matt was a low one at yeah, 31.
1: I wanted it. To...
0: So I'm still liking my prediction. I still am of the thought that playoffs would not be beneficial for this team in the long run. However, you know, before people who are rooting for, for postseason basketball, you know, up in arms or you know, rolling their eyes as they're listening right now, if the Blazers did make the playoffs, it would be fantastic. The city comes out and shows a lot of love and support, and right now, you, you couldn't tell me it's not a possibility. I mean, it definitely is. Like I said, they're one game out of eighth. Outside of the Warriors, you know, a little bit, the Spurs, no team out west has looked really good. Oh, the um, Spurs
1: scare you, playoff-wise?
0: Yeah, because that's when they turn it on. That's Pop is the master of the slow play. He's not going to tip his hand in November, December. He's going to wait until Game Three, fourth quarter of of, a, of the Western Conference Semifinals to finally make that crazy defensive switch. And he's going to do that like aha, like what now? Now try to counter me. Pop is the master of the marathon.
1: Rick Adelman, he said that. Isaiah Thomas, the great Isaiah Thomas, retired at the right time because when a point guard has to turn his back to dribble the ball up court, they're done. And that's what I see when I watch Tony Parker play basketball. He has to dribble his back, Gravis Vasquez uh, dribble all the way up court to initiate the offense. So I'm not as scared as I was earlier in the year because of what I've seen from Tony Parker right now.
0: But while Tony Parker may have fallen off a little bit, Kawhi Leonard has soared oh, yeah, to yeah. a stratosphere. So, and Tim Duncan is just like the ageless wonder he's going to be able to produce. I mean, they're still 17-4. and four. That's good by Spurs standards in the regular season. All I'm saying is, out West, those are the only two teams. Nobody else is playing with any sort of continuity, chemistry, or consistency. But looking ahead, we're talking about playoffs and playoff position, obviously it's super early we're not we're exactly uh, a quarter of the way into the season but if you are a trailblazer fan and you want to see your team playing in late april and early may these next five games may tell a huge part of the story Um, i'm going to reel them off they've got monday at milwaukee tuesday at cleveland uh, an odd two-day break so they play friday at phoenix they come home for a back-to-back against the Knicks on Saturday and then Monday they've got your Pelicans. These teams, four of the five are under 500. The the Cavs who are over five, they've lost three straight. I mean, the say Pelicans, who they
1: lost to, say who they lost to.
0: I know you, you, your Pelicans beat them. <laughs> but your Pelicans are only 1 in 10 on the road.
1: Oh yeah, we're awful.
0: The Suns have lost four straight. The Knicks are only 500 on the road. I mean, this is a winnable stretch of games for the Blazers. Granted, three of them are on the road. But again, if you're really serious about postseason basketball and you want to separate yourself from the Timberwolves, from the Suns, from the Nuggets, and from the Kings, and even from the Pelicans, you have to win these games. And you're even getting a chance to do it against those teams. We got the Suns on Friday, and we got the Pelicans on Monday. I mean, they have a chance to make a statement here, and I, I really—I know it's early December, but I really think this stretch—if they can go four and one—then I think people are going to start taking this team a lot more seriously.
1: I think if the Blazers make the playoffs, sixty-five percent of the games have to be wins. That's what you have to—that's what you have to get to get to the playoffs and get to a seed that's not going to. Just buzz saw you in half as soon as you get there, so you have to aim for sixty five percent ball the rest of the year. So if you if there's thirteen game stretch, you have to play. You have to win eight out of the thirteen. So do you? You got to ask yourself: Do you see the Blazers winning eight out of thirteen games every thirteen game stretch?
0: And typically, Sage, I would be right with you. You know, agreeing with you. Um, last year, it took 45 wins from the Pelicans to get in. Let's see, It in 2014, it took, it took the Mavericks 49 wins. So you're looking at 49, 45 wins. That's 49 wins is at a, a 60% clip. You know, this year, if we look at it right now, the Rockets are currently in eighth. They're playing sub-500 basketball, 10 and 11. So they're playing 47% basketball. If we do a, a quick little bit of math right here, <laughs> If the pace continues, it will only take 39 wins to make the playoffs.
1: But I don't Do think, think it Okay.
0: No, I don't think that will be the case, but I also don't think it's going to take 49 wins like it did two years ago. I think we're looking at a scenario similar to last year where it takes probably 43 to 45 wins.
1: All right, I was thinking exactly in that range.
0: And so if you... But Sage, I'm saying we're not... We're not good enough to get higher than the Clippers or the Grizzlies or the Thunder or probably even the Rockets once they get their stuff together. I mean, you've got to really hope that the Mavericks come down to earth in a big way. And the Jazz, I think you do have opportunity to pass the Jazz with Gobert's injury. Um, Unfortunately, it's going to keep them out a month or two.
1: I think that they're one of the worst teams in the NBA because they, now, because they depend so much on Gobert and Gordon Hayward. Now that one of them's gone... For an extended amount of time, they're going to plummet fast.
0: You know, and I, I agree. But I, realistically, I think even the even though we're even the fact we're talking about the playoffs right now is a little unrealistic for me. I just I still have a hard time wrapping my mind around the fact 2016 playoffs, including the Portland Trailblazers. However, it's starting to become a little bit more of a reality as we look at the West. We've said time and time again, this conference is drunk it's gonna. It's like the college football season this year where you take the Warriors out, nobody is good. Nobody is good. Anybody can beat anybody on any given night. And if the Blazers get hot and beat the right teams and start protecting home court, they could sneak in. Do I want them to get the eighth seed? No. The seventh seed is asking a lot. So if we're just going to strictly talk, making the playoffs, I'm going to keep it at the eighth seed as the baseline. And I think it's going to take probably 43 wins. That's only a 52% clip. So the blazers are gonna to have to turn it up a bit. They are uh playing at a forty-three percent clip at the moment. So
1: We got yeah, hey, we gotta check. Did anyone's heads explodes exploded because we did use math for about five minutes. We gotta check. <laughs> so is everybody alright?
0: We good? Okay, okay, we good.
1: I don't want someone jogging on the treadmill just uh just for their head to explode because we used math. You know, that's probably the edge of my math knowledge.
0: All right, so now that we've done our, our whole playoff madness, let's actually talk about the games that will get the Trail Blazers there or not there. I think this is a huge stretch, and it really starts, I think, Monday in Milwaukee, just like the game against Minnesota, is the start of this stretch, and it will really tell the tape on whether the Blazers have a successful week. Uh, the Bucks were projected by ESPN in the summer, to finish, what, seventh in the East. They made that big splash signing Greg Monroe. They got Jabari Parker back from his ACL injury, and Giannis has taken this huge step. They've re-signed Chris Middleton. I mean, they had all these pieces. That franchise was really supposed to, you know, be on the up and up. However, 8-13, and 13, I, I mean, they're the third worst team in the East, and it's really not even close. Uh, Brooklyn's you know, pretty close to catching them. However, they are 6-4 and four at home. And they did give the Blazers the business big time last year. But
1: They were a I fantastic think... defensive team last year, though.
0: So did Greg Monroe just make them a bad defensive team overnight?
1: God, I wish we did an Eastern Conference preview so I could have said that Moose does not care about team, cares about his stats. And I've been a fan of him for a while. But all he really cares about is his stats. He does not do the little things to help win. They were a fantastic defensive team last year, but the center of that team that was great is bugging people in a Dallas uniform. He's not. They've spent a lot of money. Honestly, I don't think they could keep them all. I think that they were going to be the team that plummeted the farthest, and so far they have.
0: And you know. This is a very winnable game for the Trailblazers. Milwaukee only scores 95.8 points per game. That's 28th in the NBA. And you look at that roster that we just went up and down. You would think that they would easily eclipse 100. However, they are a balanced attack. You know, Six players do score in double figures, led by Giannis's 16 points per game. I also find it interesting that they do not start a true point guard lately. They've been going with the Mayo-Middleton backcourt. And having Michael Carter Williams come off the bench, uh, what are your thoughts on that, Sage? Well, do you think that? Do you think? Do you think the Trailblazers can attack that since we have one of the best point guards in the game? But obviously, those two are not known for their defense.
1: Well, if you look back even further, Jared Bayless started a few games for the Bucks. Gravis Vasquez was getting major minutes. That point guard position—it has OJ Mayo. Michael Carter-Williams, Gravis Vasquez, Jared Bayless. That is a position that does not shoot well, not to defend well. Michael Carter-Williams does not shoot well. So we could sag off them on defense. The person I'm most scared of is Chris Middleton, because I've always been a fan of his. I really wish he didn't sign that major contract with Milwaukee and went to a one of the two teams i really like,
0: But you bring up a great point about Michael Carter-Williams, and that's the reason he's my X-factor for this game. In wins, he he gets 13.4 points a game. He shoots 56% when the team wins. He fills up the stat sheet, getting 6.2 assists, 1.8 blocks, 2.2 steals, 3.8 rebounds. So he does it all. However, in the losses, that poor shooting, as you mentioned, really reverts. It shows its head. Only... Shooting thirty five percent in losses, his points go way down to eight point five points per game, and he doesn't, you know, he doesn't do anything on the defense end. Um, steals, rebounds, blocks, all down, and his assists are down to four point three. So MCW is my X factor. I really think the Blazers need to keep him in check. He is a tall, lanky guard, just like Darren Williams was. We all saw what Darren Williams did to this defense. The Trailblazers would probably be wise to try to force a few turnovers out of out of Carter Williams, and maybe send a trap, maybe send a double. Terry Stotts plays the defense very conservative, very vanilla. But I don't think it would be the worst thing in the world if they threw a couple branches at the Bucks over the course of this game.
1: I wonder which point guards and going to get the, a lot of minutes. Because honestly, Gravis is a good like dime a dozen point guard, but he's still good. Jared Bayless, yeah. same, same thing. They got some yeah. point guards that I wouldn't mind having. If
0: and I, I really think this game could be another live by the three, die by the three game for the Blazers. Whoever wins this three-point line battle uh, will ultimately win this game, I believe. Uh, The bucks they only attempt 19 threes a game. That's 27th. They shoot a really respectable clip, 36%. That's 9th. The Blazers also shoot 36%. However, Portland attempts eight more threes. They attempt 27 a game. So can the Blazers be... We know they're going to shoot more threes than the Bucks. Can they be a little bit more efficient? If they get those threes going, and particularly if they hit 11 threes, I think they will win this game. On average, we make 11 threes during the wins, 8 in losses. Also, I think, along with the three-point shooting, like you mentioned about Greg Monroe playing a little bit Olay defense, Lillard and McCollum doing a lot of dribble penetration, either getting to the rack, putting up, like you said, Kobe assists, for a guy like Ed Davis just to gobble up will really open the court for those threes as well. So I think it's all going to be predicated on on the dribble penetration by Lillard and McCollum. I'm going win. What do you think,
1: Sage? Oh, I'm definitely going to win. This is one of the games that I say for sure is a Blazers win. Because you, you just have to be content with Greg Monroe getting his and stopping two of the six players that make up that weirdly put-together core.
0: However, I think this is a game, if Portland gets down early, they're not going to be able to crawl back out of. Milwaukee has a lot of weapons. Portland has to come to play right from the jump.
1: But I think it's a win.
0: Yep. So we got win on that Milwaukee game. Up next, you've got the, I guess you could say, underwhelming Cleveland Cavaliers. They've just lost in Miami.
1: Bad one. But they rested LeBron.
0: They did rest LeBron. They lost, I believe, 99-84. The crowd was chanting. LeBron is tired. Of course he gets to play the Trailblazers next. Portland will be coming in off of the second night of a back-to-back. The Cavs will be at home resting. Uh, LeBron's definitely going to be playing. Thankfully for the Blazers, there's no Schumper and no Kyrie Irving. All of Rip City remembers last year's game in Cleveland when Portland lost 99 to 94. Irving put up a ridiculous 55 points and hit 11 threes, including the game winner. Portland doesn't have to worry about that, so Lillard can definitely have an advantage against any one of their guards, whether De La Vadova or Mo Williams.
1: Who is However, on the bench? He's, he, he wanted to be the. the yeah. Um, let uh, Della Dova start so he can be used to his role. You
0: know, this game is probably the most difficult to predict for me of these five games. Most people say, you know, what are you talking about? This has got to be a, an easy loss. But the Cavs are the type of team that plays down to the level. Mm-hmm. They're sleepwalking through the season right now. They're 13-7. and seven. Kevin Love really isn't playing up to his, his status. You know, in that heat game, he had five points shot 2 of 11 from the field, only played 22 minutes. He's supposed to be able to shoulder some of that when LeBron's out,
1: and they don't like to give it to him in in places that he can succeed. A lot of his points are spot-up threes or really bad post-ups. Like against like he had a fantastic first half against the Pelicans, but it was because they switched Anthony Davis. They did like a post screen, so Dante Cunningham was on him. And then he could just outpower Dante Cunningham. That's how he made most of his points. And, but so he, so
0: how, did, how did the Pelicans get that dub?
1: Oh, they put Omer Shikin, and he did fantastic.
0: So did the Pelicans beat him up inside?
1: Uh, it was a lot of the rule of verticality. It was LeBron driving, and then the center jumping straight up, affecting the shot, and then they had made a concerted effort to get that rebound. So I think that's what the Blazers have to do is be sure to enact the rule of verticality and then crash the boards hard. And with Ed Davis, I think that's possible.
0: How many points did the Pelicans put up on them in that game?
1: It was an overtime game, and Anthony went off. But it was a lot. I think everybody has to get hot. 114 points.
0: Yeah, and I think that's exactly the case for the Troublages. They have to score over 100 points. They have not won a game this year not scoring 100 the Cavaliers are very strong on defense. They hold their opponents to just 97.5 points per game. That's fifth best in the entire NBA. Combine that with their 9-1 home record. They had won nine straight until they lost to the Wizards on December 1st, 97-85. I watched a quite a bit of that game on ESPN. Again, it looked like they were just sleepwalking through that game. Feels like they're going to do that quite a bit this year. They know they're playing for the postseason. They know they want to save their energy for that, that NBA title run. So I think this is a game that the Blazers could get a a sneaky win if the Cavaliers overlook them. On the other side of the coin, you've got LeBron James, who is probably a little ticked, a little irked about the chant that his former fans in Miami had. He's probably ticked off that they've lost three straight games, that nobody else is playing well, so he could come out and try to do it all himself. If he comes out and tries to score, I think that favors Portland. If he comes out and tries to get his teammates involved, I think that favors Cleveland in the wins exactly in the wins cleveland hands out 20 24.6 assists in the losses they only hand out 19.6 assists they have a lot of 101 players like J R smith shumpert when he's healthy james jones is just he's going to be somebody who's not going to create for others mo williams definitely is not going to create for others so it's really lebron if he starts handing the ball out to his teammates blazer fans need to be on high alert and as you mentioned Kevin loves my X-Factor. Over the last three games, which have all been losses, he's only averaging 9.3 points, only taken 12 field goals. Um, He has actually hit zero threes over that game, over the course of those three games. In fact, he has missed his last 13 three-pointers, dating back to November 28th game against the Brooklyn Nets. So that's something that we should all look out for. Is it, are our threes going down or, or are they not? This is a really tough game for me. I really want to say win because I think the Blazers actually have probably a 40% chance of winning this game. But the fact that we're going to be on a second night of a back-to-back, LeBron's got a game of rest. And it just They have the best player on the court. So for me, it's, it's hard to say victory. I'm going to go a, a loss, but again, I think it's going to be close.
1: First off, before I give my prediction, i got to give James Jones some credit. He would not be in this league if it wasn't for LeBron James. And he is following him everywhere. So props to him for earning those checks. I think the X factor for the Blazers is Myers Leonard on the picks and flares to the three-point line. I think will be huge for the Blazers because Kevin Love is not the most laterally quick player in the NBA. So I think he will be the X factor. If Myers Leonard is hot, Blazers win. But I'm going Cavs win. Yeah, it's just,
0: it's one of those games where you really hope for victory. You hope for the best. However, I think any Blazer fan would take a 2-1 record on this current road trip, heading into the final game in Phoenix, where they do get two, two days of rest, and this might be the most important game of the trip. So while the Cavs game was probably the toughest to predict, I think this might be the most important. I know the Milwaukee one as well, because it sets the tone. But this is against the Western Conference foe that has already beaten you twice, they're Right neck and neck with you in the standings. And to be frank, it's a tough arena for the Trailblazers to play in.
1: Those two guards are playing fantastic. There's a lot of holes on this team that weren't there when the Blazers played them game two and three. Marky no, Morris is playing absolutely awful, too.
0: And Tyson Chandler is out with a hamstring injury. He was questionable tonight against Memphis. They lost on a last second alley oop uh, to Jeff Green. He did not play in that game. Again, this is Sunday night when we're podcasting. It would be very odd if he didn't play five days from now. However, hamstring injuries are known to linger.
1: But John is playing pretty well. Alex Lynn gets in foul trouble a lot, but he is pretty decent. Someone who's surprising me by playing so well is TJ Warren. When he He's plays been a very nice pickup. Yep. He's, He's been getting like pick. getting like seventeen points six times in the last like two weeks. He's been playing really good basketball and taking minutes away from P.J. Tucker, who I am a huge fan of and would love to see in a Blazers jersey still.
0: Nah, two years ago, I was all about that P.J. Tucker. He is filling off big time. But P.J. Warren, kind of very Rodney Hoodish, Second-year player, putting up numbers that nobody's really talking about.
1: I think he's more polished than Rodney Hood, but I get the comparison.
0: But, but yeah, yeah, not exactly the type of play, but their production film yeah, the production. where they were picked in the draft. In comparison to their expectations, but I really uh, before I go into you know our X factors, just a refresher: uh, the Blazers played in Phoenix on the 30th of October, got blown out 110 to 92. Played the following night on Halloween in Portland, um, again lost by double digits, 101 to 90. So the Blazers know they have to beat this team. They know this team has their number. And I believe it's the
1: last game of the series, too.
0: Yes. So Phoenix has already won the series, but Portland needs this if they're to stay in the Western Conference playoff race, and I think turnovers are going to be the key. Portland had 23 turnovers that first game in Phoenix and 16 the next night. We really have done a lot better job of taking care of the basketball. In fact, we only average 15.5 turnovers. That's that's 10th in the NBA. When you look at Phoenix, they're averaging 16.9 turnovers at third most in the league. What team can force the most turnovers and get those easy fast break buckets? Both, both teams have guys that can run the floor. Um, both teams love to push the ball. I mean, the Suns average... This is a crazy stat. The Suns average 106.2 points per game, third best. However, they give up exactly 106 points per night, 27th. So they're playing a lot of close games, putting up a lot of points. I don't think the Blazers can win a grinded-out game. The statistics say this year they have to score over 100 points, but it all starts with defense this game. I know they've got to score 100, but they will not win this game if they let Bledsoe and Knight go off on them once again.
1: Mm. And it's weird. The Blazers have trouble with the water bug point guards and the stockier Darren Williams type of point guards. So it's a weird thing being having trouble defending both. I think that if the Blazers can defend and slow down those two guards, that's the X factor right there.
0: And the thing about those two guards is they did everything right. So over the course of those two previous games, those two players, they combined for 100 points. So they scored. You know, put the checkbox on that they shot 35 of 68 definitely big check on that that's over 50% they got to the line 26 times handed out 18 assists isn't going to wow many people for two games from two players but they only turned over nine times a 2 to 1 assist to turnover ratio and today's nba when it's run and gun up and down the court small ball you'll take that any day of the week so they really if there's a checklist and you're checking things off one by one over those first two games they did it all. No surprise. They they handled the Blazers with ease. This is going to be a tough one, and I think this game actually has the biggest blowout potential for the Blazers if they aren't ready to play. Really? Well, we've already we don't lose by double digits often, and they handled us twice. I went to the game on Halloween. It wasn't close. They were. We were going. That was when we kept talking about Blazers going under the screens, and Bledsoe and Knight got hot from three. Again, you know Chandler does add a dimension to that as well, but it's just like the Blazers. Damon C J can shoot us in games. Knight and Bledsoe can shoot Phoenix into games as well. I'm just going off of what's happened so far this year, and we have not shown an ability to stop those two players. In fact, we have not shown an ability to stop Eric Bledsoe since he became a member of the Phoenix Suns. He's always been a thorn in our side. I think. Like I said, I think the turnovers are going to be key, especially steals. Phoenix turned us over 24 times via the steal in those two games. They averaged nine steals a game. That's six best in the league. It's something the Blazers, when they lose games and they lose them bad, they're known for making silly passes around half court and letting the other team get easy fast break buckets, uh, especially on the road, especially the last game on a road trip. Legs are going to be tired, even though they got the two-day rest. Um, you're already thinking about going home. This one could get ugly. I don't think it will, but if it does, don't be surprised.
1: So, are you going win or loss?
0: I'm going loss because we have oh. not shown the ability to win in Phoenix. It's like the Blazers of the early 90s. The Sacramento Kings were not a good team, yet they always had our number. The Denver Nuggets, when during our, our conference title run in 2000 and in the, the late 90s, Nuggets always gave us problems. And it's just, I don't know why. It's just certain teams have the other's number, and Phoenix has been our bugaboo you know, for for quite some time, and I would love to be completely wrong, but I think Portland really needs to take care of the basketball.
1: I think the Blazers will win because the Phoenix Sun team that you are talking about is not the Phoenix Sun team that's on the court right now. I I think that we'll take advantage of Markef Morris being a really bad rotation player so far this year. I'm going for the Blazers win.
0: So who do you think on Portland has a big night? I mean, obviously I'd love her win, but so who do you think's uh carrying that torch for Portland?
1: The power forward spot. Do
0: so you think another big night from Vonleh, Myers, Ed?
1: Yes. The power forward spot is where we'll win that game. A lot of Myers and a lot of Noah. Well, not a lot of Noah, but some I hope I hope a lot of Noah, that's my dude. <laughs> but I think that the the Blazers can beat
0: them up in the middle. They can grab rebounds However, it's it's like I said. Defensively, they're going to need to win this game on on that end of the floor. The perimeter defense has to step up. You cannot rely on the back end bigs to bail you out, especially if Chandler does play because that that lob's going up immediately. Mm-hmm.
1: So, but who, let's
0: let's let's talk pick and roll first because oh, okay. we saw Reggie Jackson and Andre Drummond work it to death early on this season. We saw the Mavericks do it with Darren Williams and Dirk, which allowed. Lillard to end up on Nowitzki too many times. We switch on it forever. We go under picks. It doesn't seem to be working. I mean, if we win this game, I think it's really just going to be because Phoenix missed shots. I don't see the Blazers making the necessary adjustments on defense.
1: Maybe. We'll have to see. I'm pretty confident the Blazers will win this game. You
0: know, I would love, love for the Blazers to take this game. However, the schedule makers were not kind to the Trail Blazers bringing up the New York Knicks. The first game, after, the first home game after a road trip is already difficult enough. You know, factor in that it's the second night of a back-to-back, and it's against an improved Knicks team. You know, they're ten and eleven on the season. Kristaps Porzingis. If you get a chance to watch this kid, watch some of his highlights. It's going to be if you if you were impressed with Carl Anthony Towns on Saturday, watch this kid because he is equally as impressive. And I think it's going to be a two-way race for rookie of the year between those two. Both just fantastic players in each of their own ways. But Porzingis, I did not know how great of a rebound. I knew he could score, but I didn't think he was going to be a consistent double-double guy right from the jump.
1: And their interior defense is for real. They are a very good defense. When you penetrate, collapse the middle, they're an interior defensive team. So you got to keep that in mind when expect Lillard to penetrate the lane there's going to be someone there to play good interior defense, so watch out for that. You know,
0: it's going to be Rolo's return as well, yep. and Aaron Aflalo, who Aflalo
1: is playing like the player
0: Portland thought they were getting.
1: Mm. It's more opportunities for him. He had an offseason to work out with them. He's in a better place because he's had the time to grow with these Knicks. He didn't get that in Portland. He he got shipped off in the trade deadline and didn't have a time to get the continuity with him. You
0: know, you're completely correct, and it, it showed. He's you know, 14 points, back up to 48% shooting. He's not going to do much else, kind of like Alan Crabb, but he reminds me a lot of Gerald Henderson, and when we got Gerald Henderson and he started playing well, I started thinking, you know, this is what I expected out of a follow. He's not really the type of player that, that scares you, mm. um, but he is also the type of player who could have a sneaky 17-point night and lead the Knicks to a victory if the Blazers don't watch out.
1: I have to, like,
0: really bad, so... We'll add that into the pot. Sage is taking a potty break. We'll be right oh back my. after these commercial, commercial messages from your fans, from your friends at Mitchell and Ness. Mitchell and Ness, only the finest in vintage clothing. So, the Knicks, while the Trailblazers will be on the, the first night home off after a road trip, and right on the second night of a back-to-back, the Knicks will be on the last game of a quick three-game Western Conference road trip during the week. They have the Jazz on the 9th, followed by the Kings on the 10th, and they wrap it up with the Trailblazers on the 12th. So both teams could be looking ahead for different reasons. The Knicks to go home, the Blazers because they're home. I don't know what it is. I have, This is another feeling game. For me, this feels like a Blazers blowout. I think they're going to destroy the Knicks. Yeah. I, I don't know why. I don't really have any stats to back it up. It's just a feeling I think we're going to get hot from three. I think we're going to run and gun. I love Robin Lopez, but he's more of a of a slower center. I think we're going to take advantage of that. With with Plumlee, we're going to get out. I think we're going to force some turnovers. Let Melo go one-on-one. I think Amini was going to lock Carmelo down. You can... You heard it here first. You can take it to the bank. Aminu's going to shut him down just like he did Paul George. And good God, it's going to be Damian Lillard against Jose Calderon. I mean, CJ against Aaron Afalo. Lights out, game over, book it. That is my lock of the week. I've got the Blazers big over the Knicks. What do you say, Sage?
1: Man, you took so much of my talking points. After I recovered from my urination, I had all of these talking points and you took them all. So I agree, but I don't think it will be a blowout. I think it will be much closer than what you're thinking but I do think the Blazers will win. Um, I think they should have... If they were smart, they would abuse the pick-and-roll with whoever Robin Lopez is guarding. And, you know what? I, I think it's going to be a Blazers win.
0: So you're... Are you 3-1 so far? Yep. Yeah, I'm 2-2. Two and two. And then we got the game that all of Rip City should be looking forward to. I know I'm looking forward to it. My man Sage is going to be traveling up here. For the last Pelicans home game of the season, my let's you know re- refresh my friends oh, on how, God. Oh, it was a a 94 Blazers romp over the Pelicans uh, behind CJ McCollum's amazing thirty seven point night. He had over twenty in the first quarter, uh, set the tone. You know, said My Blazers have won six straight in the series. They've won eight straight in Rip City.
1: Never saw my, Hornets slash Pelicans win a game in, in Portland.
0: A couple weeks ago, I told you I think the Pelicans are going to get us. I told you that at Austin Stadium for that Oregon USC game. Uh-huh. Blazers are playing a little bit better right now. Um, I see that streak continuing, and All I'll right. tell you why. Talking very tough now. The Pelicans are only five and fifteen on the season. They have how many road wins, Sage?
1: Well, you said one, and I, yeah, I don't, I, I don't. I believe you. I've only seen them win five games, so I think all of them were at home except one.
0: One road victory. That was a one twenty, one fourteen victory in Phoenix on November twenty-fifth, but you guys give up hundred and nine points per game. That's second worst. I'm sure it's worse only worse than the Sixers. How is a team with Anthony Davis the second worst defensive team in the NBA?
1: Well you got And
0: Omar Ashik. Like oh. those were supposed to be your pillars. How are you so bad on defense, my friend?
1: Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna push my chair in for this one.
0: Well, <laughs> fixes glasses, straightens them.
1: <laughs> I ain't gonna clean them, so I might as well straighten them. Um, cleans the nasal passage <clears throat> and the throat. Let, let's go. Well, the fact that they are starting a new scheme definitely hurts their starting defense i mean they played against the warriors twice which also hurts their defense ish smith luke babbitt dante cunningham eight robinson played eric gordon's not a good defender drew Holiday played half the games i mean there's a lot of injuries that happened and the good the pelicans in the first half of most of those games where they gave up 120 points if you average their first half defense they would have given up 90 points a game. Second half, if you took the second half and made them play the full game with that level of effort, they give up 120 points. So it was a lot of, they didn't have enough guns to play defense, which is true. Omer Oshik had a nasty stomach virus, a pulled calf, so he didn't get a chance to play. The game against the Cavs was actually the first game that he actually played well the entire season. So there's a lot of injuries, a new scheme, and the guard. I think it's a really guard-oriented defense. So that sounds like it's right at the
0: Blazers' alley to exploit it once again. Oh
1: God, yes! And then the the Blazers, you know, attacking, going to the secondary and the third option on offense, like they did in the first game, is what I would tell them to do if they wanted to attack the Pelicans' defense. It depends on the post figuration, Anthony Rhino, Anthony, and Omer. One has a very good defensive rating. One's quite awful. Eric Gordon, when he's on the court, is an awful defender. He gives up for 100 possessions, gives up 120 points, averages 100.
0: So over the course of 20 games, how many times do you think the Pelicans have their opponents under 100 points?
1: Oh God, four times.
0: Two. (laughs) They're
1: not twice.
0: And you're only one and one in those games. (laughs) How do you?
1: It's been a rough year, and and, and having a, a text from Dustin Hodge every time they lose, whew, it irritates me so, because you know I watched, you know it's...
0: <laughs> so, as I mentioned, we're recording this on Sunday night, the Pelicans did beat the Cavaliers 114-108 in overtime this past Friday. Their slate of schedule for the upcoming games leading up to the game in Portland, they have the Celtics at home on the 7th. Then they, have, then they have a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday off before they get Friday against the Wizards. They could get right and be riding a three-game winning streak. However, they start a five-game road trip uh, next Saturday in Chicago, and that second leg of the road trip is in Portland. So to go from Chicago to home in New Orleans to Chicago all the way out to the Northwest is a really crazy travel schedule. Uh, Portland will be finally home. They won't be on the road. Um, They will have a day off from their road trip and the Knicks game. They'll be rested and ready to go. I know you asked for... So, before we get into this, you'll be wearing Pelican's gear for the game, correct? Yeah. What did you ask me for Christmas, though?
1: Oh, God, I asked for so much.
0: No, you didn't. You specifically asked for just one thing. Just get me...
1: Size 14 sneakers?
0: No. You know what it is.
1: A blazer jersey?
0: You just said, just get me Blazers gear. That's oh, okay. all. I just want Blazers gear. I said, you don't want Pelicans gear? No, no, no. Just I can get buy me
1: Blazers Yeah, I can buy it my own Pelicans gear.
0: So, I guess you could say it's become a win-win tradition when you come up here. If Pelicans somehow miraculously pull out a win, you're, you're happy. But if the Blazers get that win, you know you're going to be thrilled, too. You know, it, it, You have so much Mitchell and S. Blazers gear now, buddy. I know. I'm wearing Blazers <laughs> shorts right now.
1: Really, you are the co-host of a Blazers podcast. I f- with the Blazers so heavy, <laughs> but I f- with the Pelicans so heavy for so much longer. So it's a very, it, it's a difficult decision for me to root for. I, I know it's,
0: for it's a, getting hard,
1: harder, isn't it? I watch so much Blazers stuff. Like I watch. <laughs> I watch so much Blazers television now.
0: Sage, I am watching you right now on Skype, and I can just tell the internal struggle that you're going yeah, through. Yeah, it's
1: tough. I, I, I'm going to have trouble choosing who to root for. I know deep in my heart it's going to be the Pelicans. But and that's Right fine. now, I'm having trouble. We have a fan question where it's, what is your process for watching games now? I watch that. You watch a crap ton of basketball. Oh my God, yeah! But like for the Blazers, I watch like the, the the that show, The Scoop, because the girl's cute and charming, so I like that. But I watch so much Blazers basketball. I take meticulous notes about every game. I don't do that for the Pelicans because I know. I, I mean, I don't have to talk and be eloquent about it. But for the Blazers, I put so much effort in every game. But it makes it difficult for me to choose Pelicans, who I've been a fan of for years, or this team that I am I love, but not as long, but I work much harder in watching games and breaking down stuff. It's diff- It's difficult for me. And it really the, is.
0: The fan base helps out a lot. It's fun being a part of Rip City.
1: But when it's hundreds of people from Rip City, it's, it's difficult for me. It's It's an internal struggle for me. And so, if I remember correctly, you predicted a double-digit
0: victory, a 10-point victory, in fact, on opening night. Yeah, I did. What is your X factor going into this game, and what is your prediction? So, we usually don't give point predictions on every game, but since you're coming up, we will do an actual point prediction, and we'll see who's going to be eating the crow on next week's podcast.
1: Which will be directly after the game.
0: Yeah, so. with, with beers. I think we podcast better with beer, so we need to make that a. I
1: interrupt a lot more with beer, but it was when you said find the X factor for the Pelicans. It was, it was tough because it's either Ryan Anderson or Omer Aschick. one of that's those. Not
0: that's not mine
1: because that the, you got to think defense with Omer on the court, Anthony can be more of the center fielder. He can cause havoc but with Ryan Anderson he has to cover for that one bad defensive player and Ryan Anderson is a fantastic offensive player but makes your defense suck I think it's one of those two players I love Ryan Anderson but I think Omer is going to be the X factor because of his defense and rebounding. Last year he was a top three rebounder in the NBA. Having him and Anthony Davis will definitely help the rebounding
0: See, Omer does nothing for me Especially really? on offense. Oh,
1: absolutely. He doesn't. He actually helps the Blazers on mm-hmm. offense.
0: But defense. The Blazers did... aren't a team that lives in the paint either. Um, yeah, they're effective when they get the dribble drive going, which I could see. But they're a team that lives off of the jump shots. So that's another reason why I think this is a good matchup for Portland.
1: Oh, I think it's one of the better matchups in the NBA. For the
0: I think the X factor is Tyreek Evans.
1: Because I don't. I. He's so good that I don't think of him as an X-factor. I think of him as a constant.
0: Sage, everybody on your team outside of Anthony Davis is a potential X-factor.
1: All right, fair enough.
0: But the three games that he's came back, he has really filled up the stat sheet. You know, 14.7 points per game. I didn't, this, this really shocked me. 9.3 assists, six boards, and he gets to the line six times a night. He is still a poor shooter, only oh, fair, 41% awful. from the field. 25 from three. So the key with Evans is you want to force him to shoot jump shots. Mm-hmm. One, because it's hit or miss with him, more likely miss. And two, he is so effective on the dribble drive, and we cannot afford to get CJ into foul trouble. CJ was such a thorn in the Pelican side on opening night. We really need to keep him on the court. So that's why Tyreek is my X backer Portland really needs to really limit him. Um I'm going win, though. I think it's going to be 109-103 Blazers. And I'm writing this
1: down so we know it. All right. Well, this is where the internal struggle comes in.
0: Just strictly pick with your mind, because Hart's going to give you different answers. Who do you think is going to win the game?
1: I'm going to go Pelicans by five. So 105-100.
0: Okay. So you have the Blazers over this... Five game stretch. What was it? Three and two. Three and two. So I've got three and two as well. I've got wins over the Bucks, Knicks, and Pelicans. Losses against the Cavs and the Suns. You think we're going to beat the Suns but lose to the Pelicans? Um, either way, a three and two record puts Portland at twelve and fourteen. So getting closer and closer to that five hundred mark, which we both think probably gets them into the playoffs this year. 3-2 uh, and two is the minimum this team needs if they are serious about making the playoffs, though. They really have to win three, preferably four, mm. and I really think the only acceptable loss would be to the Cavs. Uh, you really need to beat the Suns, especially since we're so close in the standings, but it's a jam-packed week. It's great that we have so much Blazers basketball to talk about, uh, but... You know, I thought we did a really good job of previewing those games. Let's let's wrap up the show with a little um, mail time.
1: Well, I described m- my process for watching games. I would like okay. to know your process. What is your process What's for the watching? What's Um, one of my family members, my older brother, was curious. What it? What is your routine when watching a Blazer game at your house?
0: So what I do is. I like to tweet along with the games. Really only if it's going well. I don't you know I'm not obligated to tweet. It's really no fun tweeting out negative stuff. You get more feedback or positivity in reaction when the, the team's doing well and you're talking positive. So that's what I like to, to keep if it's positive. So I'll keep you know, my laptop open while I'm watching the game. I've also got my notepad out for each game, each team. I'll usually do a, a scoring breakdown of each quarter so that way I can highlight and see if anything in particular stood out to me. Did we blow a big lead? How did we come back? Oh, it was because of this big quarter right here. Um, I'll take a few notes throughout the game. Things that stick out in my mind or really a lot of uh, stats that Rice and Barrett like to throw out. Mike Rice for as much kind of I don't know, I think people make fun of him, but yeah, he mispronounces a few names, but he knows, he prepares harder than anybody that I have been around uh, when it comes to broadcasting, and he really prepares and puts a lot of time and effort into his statistics, and so when he has something that's like C.J. McCollum scored 12 points in that third quarter, I'm writing that down. Uh, That's one of the reasons I really like to watch games, is I'm able to do that. Uh, When I go to the games, I don't take any notes. I just watch, then I'll come back, and I'll put down like, I'll look at the box score and put down um, the numbers of, of key players of the opposition Um, things that stood out to me. It felt like we shot a lot of threes. Did did we make a lot? Yes. Put that down there. Did we win the rebounding battle? Um, So it's just kind of a feel, a process, but I'll write down the important things. And then when we're previewing games, I like to look at trends, look at a stat that stands out to me. Do they give up a lot of points? Do they shoot a lot of threes? Um, Do we rebound better than them? Ways that we could attack them. That's how I like to prepare for games. But I definitely feel like it's gave me a more of an appreciation for what guys like like Mike Barrett and Mike Rice do, because they do this on a daily basis, and they put in a ton of work to come out with those fire statistics, you know, on a whim, at the, in the heat of the moment. So, you know, shout-out to those two. Um, really makes watching Blazers games really enjoyable. So do we have another fan question, my friend?
1: I believe we do, and it's, no, it's Dr. Jacks Blazers talking yes. about... He wants to know the wing minutes like the rotation because Al Aminu when he was struggling didn't pass the eye test so what do you think the rotation should be for the the small forward position
0: small forward I definitely think you have to start Aminu he's the most well-rounded he plays the best defense of anybody on the team as we saw against Paul George as we hopefully will see against Carmelo Anthony and Giannis Antetokounmpo over the course of of this slate of games for the week so he has to be up there um, he can also slide over to the four to go in the power four position, and in a small ball lineup. Um,
1: I feel like some smart guy said he would be best as a small ball four.
0: I like Aminu. I like him playing 30 minutes a night. I think you have to find a way to get Crab and Harkless on the floor. Crab is your shooter from all around. Harkless is your three and D player money from the corner three excellent rebounder um a little bit more athletic they both can do so much we've seen them together on the floor they're getting crunch time minutes that's why i don't think there's room for gerald henderson because hark or excuse me because crab can slide over to the two backup cj um and that's where you're going to get those guys playing a lot of minutes um i think we have just the right amount of players at that small forward shooting guard position if henderson is moved i think right now it's a bit of a log jam and we don't want to hinder the progress of a guy like Harkless or Crab. Uh, um, or Al honestly. Or Alf Rook, you know, because we have... CJ as well. So, I mean, our team is so young, so you don't want to hinder their development, take any minutes away from a player who's probably not going to be around next year. Um, so that's how I would break it down. I actually have a question for you that I have been really brewing and thinking about a lot lately. And it stemmed from the fact that Von Le is only playing the first... Um, probably 10 minutes of each first eight to 10 minutes of each quarter. I think we have too many bigs. I think Myers, Mace, Ed, and Ley it's on paper, it's great that we have four bigs that could probably each play 24 minutes a night. But when I look at Ed Davis and I look at Myers Leonard and the production that we're getting out of them, and you look at the per 36 minutes, it, it just could be so much higher. And I think they need more minutes um plumley's the same type of player he's almost getting a double double and he's playing probably half the game and then of course you need von Lee. the season is all about a guy like him to get minutes there's just not and neither of them can play a three so they're strictly four and five i don't think there is enough minutes to go around i'm not saying it's going to be a trade but it wouldn't surprise me if we maybe moved one or two of them um in a, in a deal because we have cap space we have expiring contracts um, Olshay has been known to move players to the deadline. It wouldn't surprise me if one of the bigs was used as trade bait just to open up some minutes for the other three.
1: I agree. that The production you get from all of them, it's like they're sort of being misused. Or miscast is a better way of saying it. They're being miscast because I think every one of them is capable and ready to get more minutes. So you're doing a disservice to all of them when there's only 90 minutes a game at these positions, and four of them deserve, I'd say, 30-plus. Like, they deserve starters' minutes. So I think you're doing a disservice to all of them. And I, I truly wonder who is the most tradable asset right now. Is it Myers because of the shooting? Is it—is it, is it going to be talking to a team you suspect has interest in Myers Leonard? Say, hey. Here's a one-year rental or a half-year rental on him. See if you really like them, or is it... And I don't think you could trade Ed Davis, so it's either Mace yeah. or Myers. If,
0: if we're talking in terms of... If we're packaging combinations of re- realistic and trade value, I think number one is Myers Leonard, just because he is a restricted free agent. Any team that got him would be able to hold his bird rights and match any contract offer that he gets. Uh, He's still so young. He flirted with, did get 50-40-90 last year. He's really come on over these last three games. I think the second is Mace. He has an expiring contract. He's a young center, really capable of putting up double-double minutes. I think third is Ed Davis. He doesn't have the value because people don't, I don't think he's appreciated enough around the league. I I think people see him as being 25, going to be 26. The potential is probably all tapped out, but I think he's the type of player that means more to us than he would to another team. And then fourth, Vonley. One, because he's young. Two, because his production isn't up to those three um, above him. And for the third, we traded Batum for this guy, unless it's a package to bring uh, maybe Boogie Cousins or Andre Drummond just to throw names out there, the type of player it would take to pry Vonley away. Um, He still has a ton of upside and untapped potential that i don't think it makes sense to get rid of him 21 games into the season. Again, we're not saying a trade's coming or one should be, but if I had to rank them, that would be it. Um, I don't want to move Myers, but, you know, I don't want to move any of these guys, but I also want them all to play more, and that's not going to happen. So it's almost like you're going to have to hurt one one of their feelings to make the other three happy.
1: Exactly. But you got to think, Chris Kamen is a very nice trade piece, too. So you got to add him in that.
0: Yeah, but he's not he's not playing at all, so I'm not really oh, yeah, yeah. putting him in but the
1: contract's still on the books. Oh, know? he
0: would have to be included just to make it work from a salary cap yeah. perspective.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, if if you can if the Blazers can score a a needle mover, I think you pull the trigger. But I I don't think you move a valuable piece for like
0: I know. Lopez is not a needle mover.
1: No, and his feet scare me. Sorry,
0: I've heard that rumor so many times on the message boards that it just bugs me. He is not needle mover. He is the opposite of what you want to do. He's a good player, not good enough to get us over the hump. Um, and the like contract said, injuries scare the hell out of me. Um, again, the contract too. Did I think you he's see a good that, player.
1: Did you see the one uh, uh, trade that was proposed where it's Tyreek Evans and Eric Gordon for cap space?
0: Dude, where are you?
1: Yeah. Where are you hearing this from? Yeah, I actually read that, and I
0: was—I uh, I couldn't believe it because that just—that's not what you do with your cafe.
1: Um. space. <laughs> yo, people are saying Demar Derozan. He—if you don't—if you wouldn't give Tyreek Evans a max salary, you don't give Demar Derozan a max salary because they're essentially the same player. I've been seeing his name thrown around a lot in. Like, I, I don't see it, because he shoots really bad shots. His entire game is based around this curl route shot for mid-range, which is the worst shot to take in NBA. So,
0: yeah, I don't see it as as a great fit either. I, I trust Shea. I think whatever he does will work out. But, man, I mean, this is a long po- Um We had a lot to talk about. I hope we kept you all entertained. Uh, you can find this podcast... On Stitcher and on SoundCloud, you can subscribe, like, give us five stars, whatever the, the sites allow you to do, do it. We love and appreciate it. We're at Holy Backboard PDX. If you want to send us an email message, we are on Gmail at Holy Backboard PDX at gmail.com. And as we mentioned, we're very active during games um, on Twitter all the time. You can catch us just at Holy Backboard. Next episode will be live directly from. Rip City, after the Trailblazers-Pelicans game with me and Sage, we will be in the same room, not via Skype or FaceTime. So it should be a fun time, regardless of the outcome. Many beers will be consumed. Good times will be had. Hopefully, it's after a Trailblazers victory. Sage, that's all I have for tonight. Um, oh, I, I, I hope got... you enjoyed it as much as I do.
1: I got one, one, more, one more thing. Ahead. Okay. Holy Backboard is featured on a site called Blueberry. So... Check us out. We're in a pretty good spot. Check go to blueberry.com. Check under sports and you'll find us. So if you want to look for us that way. Thanks for you know, thanks to Blueberry for giving us that spot. You know,
0: appreciate that as well. I feel like we're we're putting out you know the fire each and every week. Um, we appreciate our listeners. We love you guys. I mean, I think that's it, Sage. Like have a great night. I can't wait to see you in Portland in about a week, buddy.
1: All right, man. See you then. Let's go.